Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Helpria is showing up and leading the way of creating an organization and culture necessary to achieve their long-term vision. It's with this vision in mind that they have decided to be a bridge builder partner for our How to Be an Ally Summit. This is the highest level of partnership offered, and we are so excited to aid in preparing their over 150 attendees to be intentional allies. They have shown again and again that they are committed to making sure that they can foster a workplace that promotes open-mindedness, cultural awareness, and respect. They've demonstrated that commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we are so proud to be able to walk alongside this amazing team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into the journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Dr. Christopher Cross. He is a biomedical engineer, anatomist, neuroscientist, population geneticist, cancer biologist, LGBTQ plus advocate and entrepreneur. He leads Cross River Strategies, a US-based boutique consulting firm that uses community engagement and scientific research to power health equity strategies and services across biotech, pharma, and academic institutions. Notably, he served as a Congressional Science Fellow on Capitol Hill during the 113th Congress and a principal investigator for the Center for Community Engagement and Health Equity within Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Cross, welcome to our show. Thank you, Dr. Ponder. It's a pleasure to be here. So our first question here, with more companies adding the role of chief diversity officers across industries, how do you see DEI leaders addressing health inequities for marginalized communities? So... I love that question because there is this, you know, emerging positions in industry, right? You've got your chief diversity officers and you're also having chief health health equity officers, right? And so I think folks are starting to kind of tease out what belongs to what, you know, Mm -hmm. for the chief diversity officers versus chief health equity officers. So in my mind, a clear way to delineate the two is to one, know which one is internal and which one's external as far as facing. So chief diversity officers typically are on the internal side, so the interior of the company. They focus on advancing, you know, all the DEI uh, metrics and making sure that the workplace environment is inclusive and folks can belong there and create those initiatives. And so the chief health equity officers are really the Uh, external facing arm on, depending on what industry the company is, if they've got a product, you know, if they're a healthcare company, 
that's really making sure that whatever they're putting into the marketplace is advancing health equity. So uh, disrupting these health inequities that continue to persist different populations. So I think if we can agree on those two sort of definitions for those uh, positions, it's then much easier to understand what role each of them plays. And I guess maybe a follow-up question is, what would you say to organizations who maybe too easily think that thinking about health equity isn't in their wheelhouse? Like, well, we're not big pharma, we're not this, so we have no we have no responsibility for this. We already have a chief diversity officer for what's happening inside. We don't need what Dr. Cross was talking about, but the ex- external. What would you say in response to those folks? So I would say, you know, that may actually be true for it, for that organization. Mm-hmm. It depends on really where their products intersect in the marketplace. But by and large, I find it really hard for really any industry to say what they're putting on the market as a selling that they have customers. More times than not, your business has customers and customers are synonymous with patients. They're synonymous with people. They're synonymous with the public. And anytime you're putting something there, you want to make sure, you know, that clearly it usually has some positive impact. Right. Mm -hmm. For that population. Otherwise, people wouldn't buy it and there wouldn't be commerce. So I would I would gather to say it would be hard for them to make that argument that what they're putting into the marketplace doesn't affect the health and wellness of that population that is actually buying and purchasing and creating that commerce for that company. And if they're doing that, then they should also have a health equity officer to keep those things in mind, but to help. Uh, the framework of what a chief diversity officer should be doing is, yes, internally creating sort of this, these touch points along all of the spaces the company is operating with. So for us in our company with Crossover Strategies, we have an engagement model that crosses those platforms. So you can think about any company has governance, they've got human resources, they've got uh, the product, and then they've got supply chain. Mm-hmm. So the chief diversity officer should make sure that there are that there's buy-in from the C-suite in the governance space, that they've got you know best practices on the human resources space, that again their product, which is especially where the health equity officer would intersect, that it's advancing health equity and creating those positive impacts for all of their customers and their population demographics, as well as a diverse su- supplier and supply chain. And. In your opinion, what is the expected impact and projected benefit for health equity in the DEI space? Because the work that you're doing, lots of time people haven't caught up to that. They're thinking about the DEI and health equity as completely two separate things. Mm-hmm. So how do these things overlap and what is the expected impact and projected benefit for thinking about health equity in our DEI strategies? So how that a question reaches reaches me is sort of like, what's the business case for right. equity? Uh-huh. And um, the business case, you know, and I'm quoting uh, Dr. Jone Calden. She is the chief health equity officer at CBS Health. She, she talks about this in terms of cost and loss. Mm. So the cost to industry for not doing these things with health equity and not addressing these inequities has resulted in $93 billion dollars. That's how much it's costing the industry to not deal with these health inequities. And then on the loss side, there's $42 billion 
and productivity loss by not addressing these health inequities. So I think that those two statistics alone <laughs> help folks be like, you know what? There's unequivocally a business case and you need folks who've got these innovative approaches to address those things. And what would be some examples of what that cost and loss looks like? You gave it to us in mm-hmm. dollars, but what would be an example of this billions of dollars in cost in this particular way? All these billions of dollars in loss, what do those look like? It looks like exactly where the state we're in right now with COVID, mm-hmm. the pandemic. That is the perfect example of cost and loss. You know, we've got, I was listening to Dr. Cameron, he's the uh, White House doctor who I think leads the COVID-19 task force. And he was given statistics, I think yesterday, about how much the incidence and mortality is happening with COVID and how now it's at the highest it's ever been. I think, you know, we can get those statistics back from him, but (laughs) in the thousands per day that people are dying. Yeah. You know, and these are by they do disproportionately affect people of color, mm. right? But it's not just people of color, right? These are um, majority populations as well. And these are working folks who have families. So that cost is all the healthcare workers that have to continuously come in and be in our hospitals and health systems to be, honestly, they're, they really are overworked. And they're there. A lot of them are on salaries. And that is a huge cost on, you know, work, on time with their family, on other initiatives they could be focusing on to advance other treatments. Um, And so on the law side, you know, that's that's human life that's being lost. Right. Um, And so these are people who have had salaries, who have had, you know, hourly jobs and hourly wages that now we're losing, you know, all these things. And I think you can think about it from just the human standpoint, but also the business standpoint where we've got uh, all of the inventory that's coming to the States that's been backlogged in our ports. Right. And that's a clearly example again of loss because if you, your business, you know, capitalism is built off commerce. Mm -hmm. So if you can't get the products in for folks to purchase, that's a loss. So I think those are some clear examples of what those things look like in real life. And you've made the case very clearly about the connection between the two things. What advice would you give to someone who is in the DEI space at their organization? Maybe they're on a DEI task force and then they, they hear this podcast. It's, oh my goodness, we need to make room for health equity, but maybe they don't have the resources for it to get a completely health equity expert dedicated to that role. What kind of tips would you give them and maybe warnings or things to look out for as someone who might have a background firmly in HR Mm -hmm. and DEI when they start to maybe like venture into and think about health equity? Like, it sounds like something that from the outside would be very intimidating. Like, oh, looking at your bio, like you need to be an anatomist, you need to be a (laughs) neuroscientist, you need to be a geneticist. What would you say to them about the warnings, possibility, overlap, and also disconnects, need for specialization when it comes to thinking about health equity? Yeah. Um, You know, I would say that we all exist in this health equity space, 
right? We're all humans, we're all customers, we're all patients. And I think if we can take off of our business hat and put our human hat on and just think about the experiences we have on a day-to-day basis, think about our friends, our extended circles, you don't have to go far to know somebody who's impacted by COVID, let alone any other comorbidity diseases that affect um, especially people of color. So for the chief diversity officer, I would say just take a seat, put your human hat on and think about the experiences that people are having and how you can help address those. And honestly, I would go to their C-suite, you know, superior and say, hey, I'm the chief diversity officer. This is my role. I can't do everything. Right. Right. And I know that I can't do everything. And actually, this is what I what I know now, what I don't know. Right. Before, you know, the I thought these two things were completely the same. Now I'm understanding that they're separate, but there are synergies. Mm-hmm. I need a partner to help me make additional change. So we're not just being potentially performative in our right. current workplace environment. And we're actually going to be transformative. And I think all industries folks really want to be in that transformative space and sometimes they're not even aware that they're being performative. Right. But the chief diversity officer's role is to help uh, make that really clear. Like, mm-hmm. are you being performative? How can we be transformative? And then they can do that by, you know, reaching out to companies like mine. I think boutique consulting firms are really a great space because we can easily become integrated as a thought partner into your space and it's protected. It's a, it's a safer sort of interaction mm-hmm. um, to work together. So, which is why I think companies like mine are great for that, but also there are, you know, bigger companies that are health communications firms, just other, you know, huge management consulting firms that are now building out health equity um, sectors. Right. And so I think, those are some good suggestions and right. I think how they could approach this work. And you mentioned this key difference between being performative and being transformative. And in your work, what are things that you look at to see whether an organization's one or the other? And if we have listeners out there, how, what might they use to determine whether or not their work is simply performative or if it's gone up to that level of being as transformative as they want it to be? So I think we have to have clear goal setting, right? You've got to have in your organization, right? There's always clear goals. You've got your OKRs for each quarterly goals. And I think you need to make sure you're adopting health equity goals into those um, C-suite you know, goals as well. Because if you're saying, hey, my goal for this clinical trial is to get you know, 50 African-Americans and then you get it, you're like, oh, I checked the box. Right. And it may, you may feel like, oh my gosh, I'm making a big change. And you are making a change. But when you have that next clinical trial, are you saying, I need 50 individuals? Or are you actually tracking those individuals to say, hey, what we've done is help extend their quality, has helped extend their life. It's helped enhance right. quality of life. They're now able to go back into their communities, talk about the trial they participated in, feel like it was a benefit, and actually help change uh, cultural norms that may not mm. be associated with that. You know, that's a clear difference from saying, I met a metric, I checked a box, 
and I'm actually making change in an individual's life and in a community that I genuinely care about because I understand the impact that my company can have in the greater scheme of bettering the human population. So that's a really valuable thing for us to remember and a valuable lesson for us to keep in mind. So I have a question for you about what valuable lessons you have learned as a result of the health equity work. You've shared a lot, but what do you think is top of mind among the most profound lessons that you've learned in this area? So lessons I've learned, I think, I think I've learned that there is a genuine willingness to do the work. I think a lot of times we believe we're in these silos, especially, you know, as um, people of color who attain a certain level of education and then you're in certain spaces, you tend to just see less and less of, of you. Right. Um, and I think to realize, even though you see less of you, there are other advocates and allies that do want to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I think we adopt an an attitude that says, you know, hey, I'm going to go in here believing you want to be transformative. Uh And I'm going to go in and say, these are the things to do that. I'm not going to necessarily, you know, I'm not going to berate you and put you in a space to make you feel bad. That's not necessarily (laughs) my goal. And maybe you should feel bad if you're doing things that are perpetuating disparities. Right. But my goal is to make you impactful and mm-hmm. make sure the work we're doing together benefits the, your intended population. And I think that that's sort of one of the, the biggest lessons I've learned from the work. And I think on a personal side, outside of the work, because right, you do the work and then if you take a step back and do some introspection, um, you can allow this work to change you mm-hmm. and how you live your life. Yeah. Um, and cause I think it's, it's really hard to say one thing and then do another. So right. personally, I've been like, you know what, I've got to do better with my own language and my own thought process when I'm going about to the grocery store and doing my day-to-day things. You know, there was, I ran into a, a um, I was going to the grocery store and there was a, um, the clerk, the bagger, and he was African-American like me. And he like, didn't look at me in the eyes. And I felt like a bit of disrespect. And I was like, what's Uh, going on? You know, (laughs) supposed to give me the nod at least. Right. Like what's happening? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm out here hustling, doing health equity work to like make things better. (laughs) And like, what's up with this, you know, lack of respect. And I had to take a moment back and think like, you know what? I don't know this young gentleman. He doesn't know me. Who knows what myriad of things could be going on in his life. Um, Let me have a little more grace and more patience Mm -hmm. in in this interaction and not take it personal. Right. Um, So for me, I think those are kind of two examples from like the work lessons and personal lessons. And then just trying to, um, you know, allow that grace that we all need and all want. Um, while we're doing our work. Yeah, that's, it's, it gets very easy to focus on transforming my team, the other individual, the team, my organization, society, and like, well, transforming yourself. Oh, <laughs> what? that can be very difficult. And that brings me to 
my second to last question, which is kind of a surprise, but maybe not to some of our listeners out there. A question we always like to ask our guests is what is bringing you joy? Oh, wow. I love that question. Um, joy is such a good word, isn't it? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's different than It happy. sounds like the feeling it describes. Joy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think what brings me joy is my, there's two things. Um, personally, my chosen family mm. brings me joy. Um, being, you know, a, a black gay man, there's a very unique way of existing in the world that comes with that. Um, And the idea of choosing your family becomes not necessarily a choice per se. Like you're kind of put into a space to do that because you may or may not have that um, acceptance from your, you know, your blood family, your biological family. Mm -hmm. And you tend to get that acceptance in friends and, you know, through experiences that you share with others, which I actually love because it sort of releases you from these potential, you know, biological obligations Mm -hmm. that you really had no agency in in the first place. (laughs) And more likely than, you know, in some cases, it really doesn't serve you. Right. And being, being, having autonomy in your chosen family doesn't mean you, you know, disband or block your biological family it just means you have a choice in choosing people in your biological family to be a part of your tribe right so for me i've been so fortunate to have some like really good soul friends and people in my tribe that don't look like me that don't talk like me that aren't from the same places that i'm from and will be the most ride or dies that you could (laughs) you know hope for Right. Um, one being included is my business partner, Dr. Diana Liu. I've just been really lucky in that sense. And so in the DNI space, what brings me joy really is this podcast, the work that you guys <laughs> are doing, that there really is a space to talk about these things. Right. Um, and how this is like a seed that we're continuing to plant, you know, with our generation right. of this work. And seeing how it's going to grow and bear fruit for generations to come. So those are the the things that are bringing me joy. Well, thank you, Dr. Christopher Cross, for joining us and sharing your joy and being a little bit of a part of this chosen DEI family. (laughs) So how can our folks continue to stay in touch with you? So there are there are three ways. The my company website, uh, CrossRiverStrategies.com. We, my email address, which is chris at crossriverstrategies.com. And then we have our Twitter, which is at crossriverstrat. And those are the ways. All right. Well, we'll be sure to make sure to put those in the notes. So thank you again so much for joining us. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And thank you to all of you out there listening to this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact Podcast. And we need more people to help us continue to do that. So in order to do so, please be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, looking for Justin Ponder or Deanna Singh. And until next week, keep uplifting the impact. Thanks.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.